Hello and welcome to our Maritime Impact podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Nyhus, Director of Environment for Maritime at DNV. Regular listeners and those who are familiar with the details of the maritime industry's journey towards decarbonization will know that 2024 is set to be another crucial and very busy year. Unsurprisingly, it's already time to dive into the details. We've covered the EU ETS and its implications for the industry extensively in previous episodes. When we recorded our last update back in October, there was still no final word on the implementing regulations. This has of course been finalized by now, mostly as expected. With the ETS becoming effective on January 1st, 2024, we think it's time to now provide an update on where we stand and which lingering uncertainties remain. We hope you enjoy this special episode, and now on to the show. As everybody should hopefully be aware by now, the EU ETS is now in force for shipping, and almost all of the associated implementing regulations and decisions have been finalized. To be very blunt, this means that if you're trading in Europe and have not yet started planning for how to deal with the ETS, you are well behind the curve and need to get quickly up to speed. I am not going to recap all the ins and outs of how the ETS is intended to work and what you need to do to get compliant. For that, I would advise that you listen to previous episodes, or even better, visit the DNV webpages and FAQs. But as a simple intro, remember that the ETS is about paying for greenhouse gas emissions associated with shipping that one way or another touches Europe. Also remember, ignoring it comes both at a cost and with the risk of eventually being barred from European ports. Without further ado, let's consider a key aspect of the latest tranche of regulations on legal responsibility. The most hotly anticipated decision towards the end of last year was a final verdict on who was going to be legally responsible for ETS compliance. The EU made the call on this in November, and while the decision in a sense was clear at the time, it still left many questions open that have only become resolved towards the end of the year. So as expected, we have ended up with the registered owner being the legally responsible party. This is the default state and can only be deviated from if the ISM company, also known as a DOC holder, accepts taking responsibility, in which case an agreement signed by both parties need to be provided. If there is no agreement, the legal responsibility remains with the registered owner. Full stop. Also, the legal MRV responsibilities follow suit. They cannot be separated from the ETS. For those registered owners who are unable to delegate the legal responsibility, but also are reluctant to start dealing with unfamiliar MRV and ETS practicalities, there is the possibility of outsourcing the actual work to the DOC holder. However, be aware that outsourcing practical work does not then impact on the legal responsibility. If anything goes wrong compliance-wise, it is the registered owner who is the one on the hook for potential sanctions. You may recall from the EU episode last fall that I talked a lot about the need to figure out which country you will be relating to for ETS compliance. This is a trigger for a lot of the practical work, such as getting the necessary accounts established and so on. The EU is obliged to publish a list linking shipping companies and countries by February 1st, and at the time I'm recording this one week before, we're still awaiting publication. 
This is really the crucial next formal step, because once the list is published, the clock starts ticking on applying to the right administrative authority for a maritime operator holding account. The MOHA, as it is called, is the account everyone needs to have in order to surrender EU allowances. So getting this established is a crucial formal step. But there are a couple of issues worth highlighting here. The first is that I honestly expect this list to be incomplete and probably not fully accurate given the dynamic nature of the shipping business. So once it is published, and if you do not find yourself on it, you need to take independent action to figure out which country your company will need to relate to. This will depend on the previous four years of EU port calls, or if there are no such port calls, your first port call in the EU in 2024. If you find yourself unlisted, you need to take steps to figure this out yourself and then reach out to the administering authority in the EU country where you think you belong so that the ball gets rolling on the account setup. Remember, flag has nothing to do with this. If you're not listed, it's all about port calls in the EU. The second issue is that shipping is an industry full of owner groups with one-ship companies, so-called special purpose vehicles or SPVs. Those owners need to understand that the requirement for registered owners to be legally responsible translates to a requirement for one account per SPV, even if all the SPVs are held in the same group structure. For some shipping groups, this can easily become tens or hundreds of accounts, and with no surety that they will all reside with the same administrative authority. Delegation of practical work to staff in the owner group is possible and can ease the management of the accounts, but the work related to setting them up and then managing them can still be quite significant. Publication of the list will at least offer some clarity and I hope that it will be available by the time you're listening to this. In connection with the rollout of the ETS, I also want to emphasize that there have been numerous changes to the underlying MRV system that have knock-on effects for the ETS. This includes changes to monitoring plans, monitoring not only of CO2, but also of methane and N2O, rules for partial emission reports in case of change of vessel ownership, new commission interpretations for reporting in connection with dry docking, how to handle biofuel blends, addition of new company emission report that is to go to the administering authority and the EC by end of March. Note that this is before the due date for the ship emission report, which is April. All of this and more is well covered in our technical and regulatory newsletter number 30. So to the key takeaways. First and foremost, be aware that the ETS responsibility question has been settled and that it may have some very real practical implications for the involved owners and DOC holders. Secondly, keep your eyes open for the list. Once this is out, the clock starts ticking on getting the right setup with the right administering authority. And finally, there are numerous practical changes to the MRV driven by the ETS that you will need to relate to. We have detailed information available on that on our web pages. You've been listening to the Maritime Impact Podcast from DNB with me, Eric Nyhus. This was a special one-off episode on the EU ETS to provide a quick update and answer some pressing questions. We will be back in the spring to examine the impact of the MAPC 81 decisions, further track the post-implementation progress of the EU ETS, and also explore the critical actions required for fuel EU maritime compliance, among other relevant topics. We will continue to provide guidance for the maritime decarbonization journey. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to give us a rating or review. Thank you for listening.